0: It's a marvelous miracle, and the response is even sweeter still. Join us for Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner next. God shows himself in an amazing way in your life. He does the extraordinary. He provides a miracle. He gives you something that you thought was impossible. What's your response? How do you react to this? And I think most of us would take a look at Peter's reaction and scratch our heads wondering why. But the truth is, when you really understand a sovereign God has just intervened in your life, you begin to realize just how sinful you really are just how much we need His grace and how quick He is to provide it. That's the marvelous outcome of our time together today as we look again at Luke chapter 5. We're in verses 12 through 16, message entitled, The Sovereignty of Jesus, Part 2. Join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's program.
1: Jesus miraculously instantaneously and completely healed this man, a leper, from the advanced stages of leprosy. And after he healed him, he ordered him to do something that sounds a bit strange to our modern ears. In fact, he even ordered this man to do something that is quite significant. Jesus was not this man's commanding officer to give him orders. Jesus held no office as a civil magistrate, so he wasn't ordering this man as if he was some civil authority. Nevertheless, Jesus orders this man sternly. In fact, the Greek word here for order is a very, very strong word. Jesus orders this man strongly to do something. Now, first of all, what right did Jesus have to demand a man who is in no way in a relationship with him to start doing certain things and to live a certain kind of life? It is simply because of this. Those whom Christ heals and saves, he claims for his kingdom. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ saves one, someone from his sins, he saves that person so that person can now surrender his life in a total allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his kingdom. Jesus Christ here is not acting in some arrogant way. He's not usurping authority for himself that he did not already have. He's acting in a way that is consistent with everything he came to earth to do. After healing this man of leprosy and saving him from his depravity, the Lord Jesus Christ assumes now a position of sovereignty over him. And he says, I saved you so you can follow me and surrender your will to be regulated by my will and by my word. Luke, again, as he has done previously, expresses that Jesus is indeed God in human flesh, for no man can justly make such a command as this. Now, what was that order that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to this now healed leper? He said, don't tell anyone about this until you go to Jerusalem and you see a priest. Now, while you're in Jerusalem, go through all the various rituals that pertain to the cleansing of a leper as required by Moses. Let the priest see you are perfectly healthy. And then let him officially declare you healed of your leprosy. And then you can go and tell Anyone you'd like. Now, what's the purpose of all this? Keep silent until the priest sees you and he testifies to you of your good health. You see, what Jesus was doing was squeezing the priest in Jerusalem into a corner. He says to the leper, you go to Jerusalem. Don't tell the priest how you were healed go through the Mosaic ritual, get the priest to say you are healed, and then tell him how you were healed and who did it. He will either then be forced to believe that I am the Messiah, that the Old Testament prophesied, or he will be forced to harden his own heart and against absolute clear proof Reject my claims on his life. So be quiet. Go show yourself to the priest. And go through all the Mosaic rituals to prove that you are legally clean. Now, it's those Mosaic rituals for cleansing that I want us to look at for just a few minutes. Because Jesus was commanding this leper to carry out complex and detailed biblical ceremonial requirements that you will find in Leviticus, which requirements had as their purpose to remove the ceremonial uncleanness from a leper so that he could worship in the temple, so that he could be restored to covenant society. Remember, we've already seen concerning lepers in the Old Testament that they were not allowed into the city. They were not allowed to visit their families in their homes. And they were not allowed to worship at the temple because leprosy was a symbol of spiritual, moral uncleanness. So they were quarantined. If they were to be accepted back into the family and back into the worship of God, they had to go through a whole series of complex regulations that would bring them to full restoration. And that is what Jesus is commanding this leper to do. Now before we look at the specific regulations, I want us to observe something about our Messiah here. Jesus was a man of compassion. And yet, at the same time, the details of his life were conscientiously regulated by the details of God's law. The Lord Jesus Christ took every detail of biblical law seriously. Now that's an attitude that is totally out of accord with the mentality of modern man. In fact, it is the very antithesis of today's church that is eaten up with a disregard and a dislike of the law of God. If you talk to the average Christian today, he'll tell you that there are two kinds of Christians in the United States. You have those who are warm and compassionate and loving, who are devoted to sympathizing with others. And then you have those who are concerned with justice, righteousness, obeying the details of the law of God. And if they had the choice to choose between a righteous disciplined, obedient to the details of the law of God, Messiah, and a warm, loving, and compassionate Messiah. They would obviously pick the compassionate, loving Messiah every time. Well, that's a false dichotomy, beloved, that the the world itself has created. There never was a man, or ever will be a man, as compassionate as Jesus There was never a man or ever will be a man who is as sympathetic as the Lord Jesus Christ. There has never been a man as warm and as attractive to people who always clustered around him by the tens of thousands every day of his life than Jesus. Yet, there has been no one who is a stickler for the law of God as Jesus. There has never been a man who took seriously every detail of the complex laws of the Bible as Jesus. In his life, there was no dichotomy between doing right and loving other people. These attitudes were blended in his character and his personality as they should be in every single Christian's life. In fact, do you know how righteousness, obeying the details of the law of God, Self-discipline and obligation to duty is related to love and compassion and warmth and sympathy. It is this, and sometime maybe today, later on. Read Paul's prayer in the first chapter of Philippians and you'll see that that Paul teaches this to us. In a person of faith, a person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, the more obedient that person becomes to the details of the law of God because of a desire to please the Lord Jesus Christ, the more loving and compassionate and warm he is going to be now we 're talking about real obedience, not pietistic obedience to our own set of extra biblical rela- biblical regulations or A holier than thou attitude. Nor are we talking about someone who does it all for show. We're talking about someone whose heart is dedicated to showing God gratitude for his love and his care. You show me someone who is concerned with obeying the details of God's law, who is not compassionate, and I'll show you someone who's all torn up on the inside with mixed motives. If the purpose of obeying the law of God is to make points with God or other people, you are not going to be loving and warm at all. In fact, you're going to be ugly and arrogant. But if you desire, your desire for the obeying of the details of God's law is that you have been saved by grace that you have been accepted by God irreversibly through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are confident that nothing can separate you from the love of God, and that Jesus was willing to lay down His wife and to rise from the dead for you, then there is going to be an overwhelming desire in you to please Him. And motivated by that desire to please Him, you are going to obey his law not because you're trying to add on points before him but because you love him and you want to bring him honor with your life and the more you obey his law out of faith in him with the desire to please him the more loving and compassionate and sympathetic you will be do you know why Because of the way the Bible defines love. You know, people are guessing right and left how to define love in modern world. When the Bible just flat out gives you a definition, a sentence definition of the word love, which is found in the 13th chapter of Romans. And it says, love is the fulfilling of the law of God. Beloved, remember this. There is no such thing as lawless love. You show me one, someone who says, I'm married, but I love someone else. And I'll show you someone who may take pleasure in another person. They may enjoy another person. But according to Scripture... They do not love them. There is no such thing as lawless love. So there is this blending in Jesus' character. There is his commitment to all the details of God's love because he knows that God has given us his law as believers to guide our loving. You've heard of people, I'm sure, say, Let love be your guide. Well, love has no legislative power. In fact, let me show you the relationship between law and love or righteousness and love. Now, I've said this to you on a couple of occasions, and you've probably heard it on some of Pastor Joe Marcraft's tapes. And this is well worth memorizing. Law is the eye of love. And without law love is blind. Love is the soul of the law and without love law is dead. Let me say that one more time. Love law is the eye of love and without law love is blind. Love is the soul of the law And without love, law is dead. So you can see the dichotomy between the righteous person and the person of love is a false dichotomy. In a true Christian who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, who is seeking to be Christ-like, there is going to be this beautiful blend of righteousness and love in his life. So here you have compassionate Jesus instructing this man to keep all of the details of the law of God so that he can be restored to society. That's love, beloved. Now, I'd like to take the time to look at the details of that law found in the book of Leviticus. And keep in mind now that the book of Leviticus is normally perceived to be the most boring book of the Bible. I hope to show you today that's not true. And yet the gospel of Jesus Christ is nowhere more clearly and vividly presented to us in the Old Testament, even with all those boring rules and regulations. So turn with me, if you will, to Leviticus chapter 14, to see what Jesus was commanding this leper to do. He said, don't tell anyone about what has just happened to you. Go to the priest in Jerusalem, go through all the Mosaic rituals concerning the restoration of a leper to society and to worship, because, and this is important, because that will squeeze the priest into a corner where he will be forced to make the most important decision of his life. He was telling this healed leper to go to Jerusalem and obey Leviticus 14. Now remember, as we look at this, what the purpose of Leviticus 14 is. We're going to be looking at some little obscure things here. But keep in mind that this is still the Word of God. One thing that you must not ever forget when you study the book of Leviticus is 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Everything in the Bible is profitable. So if you're sitting there wondering, why are we reading through Leviticus 14 and what does it have to do with my life? It is because the Bible says all of Scripture is profitable. And beloved, to the degree that we are ignorant of any part of the Word of God, to that same degree our Christian life is going to be deficient. So let's look at these rituals that are required of a leper to get him restored to society. Let's read Leviticus 14, verses 1 through 9. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest." And the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look and behold if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper. Then shall the priest command to take for him, that is to be cleansed, two birds alive and clean, and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. "'As for the living bird, he shall take it, and the cedarwood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, "'and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. "'And he shall sprinkle upon him, that is to be cleansed from the leprosy, seven times, "'and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose into the open field.' and that he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all of his hair and wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after that, he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave off all of his hair, the hair on his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all of his hair he shall shave off and he shall wash his clothes. Also, he shall wash his flesh in water and he shall be clean. Now remember what this ceremony has as its purpose. These verses have as their purpose to teach Israel that cleansing from sin and depravity can be found only in Jesus Christ. That's the first purpose. The second thing these verses teach is that Israel since it has been separated unto God, was to keep away from all moral uncleanness that would defile them and separate them from God. Now, with those two purposes in mind, I want you to be thinking about what we just read in Leviticus 14:1 through 9. Let me tell you why you should be able to say praise to God because of this. First of all, the first part of this ceremony takes place outside the city limits. Because remember, he is unclean, and being unclean, he has been quarantined from the rest of the city. But as the ceremony proceeds, they go inside of the city limits near the temple where sacrifices are offered. And Through this, beloved, you have here a very vivid restoration of this leper. He is taken from uncleanness, from being an outcast, and he is brought back into the city itself. And then you have these two birds. One bird is killed over a vessel of clean spring water, and the blood of that bird is allowed to flow into that vessel. Then the priest would take the living bird and dip it, along with a bunch of evergreen cedar wood, which was known for its imperishability. And then a string of wool-dyed blood red. Remember, blood always symbolizes life and vitality. And hyssop that was used as a cleanser. And they were all dipped with the live bird into the water. And then the person who came for cleansing was sprinkled seven times. And remember seven being the symbol of completeness or being made whole. The leper was sprinkled with this whole mixture and then the living bird was set free to fly back to its nest. The symbolism here should be obvious and it is extremely powerful. Water symbolizes, of course, cleansing and refreshing. And to mix water with blood and the various other symbols is to strengthen and intensify the very symbol that was taking place of spiritual renewal, purification, and cleansing from sin, which is to be found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the beautiful picture. After the priest sprinkled the leper with the blood mixture, he was now considered cleansed. So the priest let the live bird go free. And the live bird was symbolic of this leper. And so what's the point here? Here's what John Calvin said about the point of this ritual. He said, the cleansing from leprosy was a kind of resurrection from the dead. Leprosy, after all, was a living death. So the priest takes the two birds and he places them before the eyes of all the people so that they can see this being done. Then the liberty of one bird is purchased by the blood of the other. And the living bird is set free only because it had been dipped in the blood of the other. Resurrection had taken place. What beautiful symbolism we have here. You see, all of this is symbolic of how the Lord Jesus Christ came to save us from our depravity. That was ravaging and destroying us just like leprosy.